There we go. So, um, Alison and Craig and Suellen and Mark, don't hide behind the <laughs> curtains over there. These amazing people are here. Come take a step forward into the bright lights. Um, these are uh, amazing people. If you don't know, we as a church just, uh, we, we love being together like this, but we realize that this is one way that the church gathers, but there's another way that I think takes this um, and, and takes what James says. He says, don't just be hearers of the word, also be doers of the word. And life groups are probably the way that we best express that. We don't just hear, we want to live this stuff. We want to actually try our best over the months and years to come and decades Learn to embody the message, to actually live lives that honor Jesus, that actually start to reflect him. If you just come to Sundays, you could easily say the kind of tick box, I I do the church thing. But when you go to life groups, you start to become like Jesus. You start to embody the message. And that's kind of something we really value. And these amazing people right here are going to be launching our next life group. I think it's number 16. I need to do a double check. But I think it's number 16. And that in and of itself deserves a round of applause because it's awesome. So, um, guys, what do you love doing for fun? I mean, let's just hear from you guys. Um, Are we going to start with Craig? You can hand over the mic. Just shock someone here. But tell us about yourselves. What do you do do for fun? What keeps you guys laughing and enjoying life? So I think I'm just a competitor. I love playing sport. I love uh, watching sport, um, especially Chelsea. Um, That's for Shane. He had raised it slip, the, I think, it in there I think you raised the sport thing because one of the last games you played was against me and you beat me 6-0 in squash. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Actually, it was 3-0. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think for fun, we love doing family things together. We're, we're, we're a we're competitive family, um, not to the, to that we have to win. We just like competing. So board games are our passion, and we love having family gatherings and getting board games. And Alison's the... The board game queen. What's the board game of choice? Mm, fast 30 seconds. At fast the 30 seconds. I thought 30 seconds was fast already. No, we make it faster. Okay. He's lying. He actually does like to win. We play until he wins. He <laughs> or play. you go home, sorry. Okay, um, Mark, maybe I can get the mic to you. Where are you guys planning on meeting? Uh, obviously, there's a long area between Milnerton and Melkbos that our life group span, and actually all the way to Edgemead. But where, is, where are you guys? So we're going to meet at, at our place. Um, we're not far up the road, just right off the top of Sunningdale Drive. It's Thornhill Drive, 33 Thornhill Drive. Okay, cool. Now that you've got his address, guys, <laughs> this could be interesting. Okay, what are you guys hoping for your group? I mean, just uh, some of the things that you got on your heart for the group ahead. <laughs> so I think uh, for us, it really is just about um, we wanted to get a group together. I think most of our learning in church has come through a life group. And in fact, when we moved to Cape Town, we didn't have a family in Cape Town or any family in Cape Town. So it was our church family that uh, su- supported us through our kids and all the rest of it. Um, so that's part of it. it. It's wanting to have that intimate fellowship with a, with a group of people. But we also want to be deliberate about it, and, and our passion is to make sure that we can continue growing groups. So Shane has kind of led the way. This is a, a, a growth from, from Shane and Tanya's group, and we want to do the same. We want to make sure that we are intentional about growing life groups within common ground. Beautiful. Sounds like a cool vision, right? They're launching this Wednesday. Uh, a couple of people are already part of it. There is space. If you're not part of a life group, they're going to be hanging out just outside these doors. 
Um, and uh, as you leave, maybe you just want to go connect, swap numbers, and uh, hopefully get into their group. I want to pray for you guys. Take another step forward so that I can fit here. And uh, let's join uh, our hearts together. Another outpost for the gospel for creating community is launching this week, and it's our group. It's not their group, it's our shared story. So Father, thank you for these amazing people. Thank you for um, the group that you're starting. But Lord, it's not a group. It's not an idea from uh, our church. It's your group uh, because you love community and you love people building community in your way so that people will be formed into your image and uh, become more like you and show the world how good you are. Let this group be all of that and more. We pray you would bless them, pour out your guidance on them, and uh, give them great grace. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Round of applause to these awesome guys. Can I giving that to Nick? Yeah, sure. How cool, eh? I love new groups. I love new life. And um, we're kind of going at the pace of God. We're not pushing some big agenda. We're going where it feels like God is adding. And it's just been such a treat to see God keep adding. And we feel, for what it's worth, like there's at least four more groups in our community for this year. New groups to, to pop up um, because there's so much new life. And so, please, if you've, uh, you're fresh to this church and you're sort of new to the story, you're not part of a group, maybe you've actually got years of experience already re- leading life groups, we'd love to see if there's synergy. Maybe you've got a community of people you want to reach and love. This is something we love uh, seeing happen in our church. Okay, we are ending our journey called human beings. Not human doings, human beings. And I, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I have found this last five weeks probably some of the most thrilling five weeks of ministry that I've ever had. And I've been doing this a while now. I, I'm not a rookie anymore. I've been around and I've been in churches and I've, and I've experienced the joy of preaching and watching God at work. And these last couple of weeks watching God at work have been nothing short of thrilling, of riveting, watching God at work in your life. And in fact, and in my life, this preaching journey as I've been going through it and listening to God over my life has been so crucial. We've basically reminded ourselves that our identity matters, that we can't just pretend that uh, it doesn't matter who we are and how we view ourselves and who God says we are, who God says we are, and our understanding of that basically fundamentally changes the way we live our lives. It fundamentally changes the way we wake up and walk into the world. It changes the way we love or don't love people. It changes the way we allow people to love us or we don't allow people to love us. It changes the way that we love God or don't love God and vice versa, allowing God to love us. You are, as we've studied and looked through the scriptures, you're you're, you're a child of God. You're, you're also seated in heavenly places. You have such beautiful and humble authority. And not only that, we're called to be servants if we're in Christ. We're, we're servants. We're, we're sons and we're seated. And we live in this amazing blend. And at the middle of that should be you. And at the periphery of that should be a life of joy increasing. Because we're understanding who we are. <laughs> But God's not the only one who gives you an identity, right? There's so many things around that want to tell you who you are, whose you are, and why you are or aren't valuable, why your life does or, or doesn't matter. And, and I think 
one of my favorite characters in the Bible when it comes to really getting this stuff is an Old Testament king named King David. He got it. He really lived this life out. He, he wasn't perfect, but somehow he managed to balance confidence and humility. A sense of knowing who he was and yet being able to not push it down people's throat. He, he managed to push and resist pride and, and live in a humble yet confident, world-changing way. And, and he didn't do it in a way that was just all squeaky clean. He made mistakes. He wore his heart on his sleeve. He, he was a, a, a kind of brute of a man when it came to some of the mistakes he made. But he just kept on honestly pursuing who he was in Jesus. And, and my life verse for this year has been the one I'm about to take us through. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And we're going to go through this. And we're going to track through the, the, the lens of a poet, through the lens of a leader, through the lens of a warrior, how he understood his identity, how he walked through life with this incredible blend of humility and confidence, of, of joy that pulled that all together. And so here we go. We are in Psalm 23. We're looking a thousand years before Jesus. This is David writing this beautiful psalm. He was probably king at the time that he wrote this. He grew up as a shepherd, one of the youngest sons in the family. He was a shepherd, and then uh, through a beautiful story, go read 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll see how David comes from shepherd to king of Israel and becomes one of the greatest uh, leaders and, and military kings ever, especially and definitely in the story of Israel. And so this man is writing after the facts, after some of the most monumental moments of his life. And he writes this in Psalm 23. It's a poem that comes out. It's a song of his heart. He says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. It's really old, and yet it is probably as profound and more pertinent today than it's ever been. Our hearts need this today, and I pray that you would help us to get it, whether we are in a great space or a tough space, whether life is working exactly how we hoped or it is filled with challenges. I pray that you, the good shepherd, would come and shepherd us through this beautiful passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at that first passage. The Lord, go, yeah, there we go. The Lord is my shepherd. Who's your shepherd? Who shepherds your life? Let, let, me, let me first answer this question. What was a shepherd meant to do? Well, what was the job of a shepherd? In fact, what is the job of a shepherd today? Essentially, it's two things. To provide and to protect. 
That's really what a shepherd does. A shepherd provides the right pasture, provides the right food, makes sure that these sheep are getting all the sustenance, all the nutrients, everything they need so that they can grow into healthy sheep. That's what a shepherd does. He provides, but he also protects. He makes sure that the sheep are safe, they're together, and the wild animals and the elements cannot get to them. That's what a shepherd does. A good shepherd does it really well. He provides really well, and he protects really well, and what he gets is really content sheep who get to just relax. And, and part of this analogy you'll see uh, that David's working with is that sheep are probably the least intelligent of the lot. They just aren't sharp at all. They just go wherever the other one goes. You can get sheep in, just going in circles. If the, the first one goes there, they all go there. They're just not that sharp. We'll, we'll see that that's actually quite profound because David understood sheep. He'd really got them. He'd spent his early life just basically smelling like sheep. He got it. This was not him writing about something he had no idea. He lived it. He had grown up amongst it. And so this whole task of protection and provision had been his growing up. Now, let's shift the analogy to ourselves. You see, if we are sheep and God is a shepherd, which is what we're going to see, then if we are always searching for protection and provision, which is what we are, probably a better way to look at it is if we look at this next slide, is that when we're searching for provision, we're actually looking for contentment. Have I got enough? A sheep is content when the shepherd just keeps taking him to all the right places so he gets enough food and he goes, there is enough. And the longer he lives with a shepherd who keeps providing, the more content a sheep is because he's just realizing, I always get what I need. I've always got it. And the longer a sheep lives protected, never ever having the jaws of a lion close to his face, he goes, I feel like control is mine. I'm never under threat. I'm not looking, wondering when the end is coming for me. There is a sense of control. There is calm. We long for control. You and I, whether you like it or not, we hate the feeling of being out of control. Much of what we do in our lives and the needless energy we spend is, spend is to try stay somehow in control. We try to manipulate circumstances, manipulate our emotions, so that in some way we might just feel a little bit in control. We try to control the stuff we can so that at least we feel some sense that things are going to work out. We shoot for these two things, contentment and control. And we long for them because we need provision and we need protection over our lives. We want to know it's safe. Life is going to work out for us. So, who's your shepherd? Who shepherds your life? Uh, first answer could be, God is my shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, he's my shepherd. Well, we'll look at that answer for the rest of this talk. There's two other answers you could give. The other answer you may want to give is you say, actually, I, I think I just have multiple shepherds. Maybe you, you, see, you don't know who your shepherd is, and it's just another person or thing or, or people or things. You go, actually, my boss has incredible influence over me. 
In fact, I spend a lot of my life wondering what the boss would say, or what the colleagues would say, or what the friend would say. And whoever has huge influence over the way that you behave and the things that you do is pretty much the one who shepherds you. The one who you think can provide some sort of contentment, some sort of provision, some sort of control over your life, the people or person or thing that you look to that provides that stuff, that's the person or thing that shepherds you. Career, cash, a companion, who's got inordinate capacity over you to shape you, to motivate you, to cause fear in you? Who is that person or thing? Is it another personal thing? The third option might be yourself. You might go, no, it's not another person. It's not God, it's, it's me. I'm my primary shepherd. That's the anthem of Western society, by the way. You are your own master. You determine your destiny. You get to shape who you are, how you live, and who will provide and who will protect. You are it. And that is the song that we sing. That is the music that we dance to in Western society. I am my own person, and I will shape the outcome of my life. I am my protector. I am my provider. I get contentment from me, and I found it all in here. Good luck with that. It's a very modern social experiment that seems to be having all kinds of difficult implications. I know that that's almost blasphemy in our culture because we believe we can find everything inside, but the problem is is we've got some of the highest levels of, of mental and emotional disorders that we've ever had in human history. As we try to become our own shepherds, as we try to provide all the stuff that we need for ourselves internally. And yet here we've got David who says, I lack nothing. This is probably a good point moment to get a little bit of context. So you've got a mighty warrior king. This is no ordinary man. This is a hyper-gifted man. I mean, just to write poetry like this, you've got to be, you've got to be intelligent. You've got to know your stuff. But, but not only that, David has done stuff that we very few in the room would contemplate. He, he's fought off bears with his own uh, bare hands. He's, he's fought off lions. It's literally documented. He's, he's done this stuff. He's also a national hero. He's the Seer Colisi of Israel. He has beaten the greatest giants of international world. He took them on single-handedly, and he stood on behalf of Israel, and he won. And he picked up that trophy, and he said, I have won. It was the head of a giant. He did it on behalf of a nation, and everybody's going, you are incredible, a national hero, who then, after getting national herodom, basically uh, through the insecurities of King Saul, gets chased for his life for a number of months, and he basically hides and he builds an army to the point that eventually, through a long and beautiful story, he becomes king of Israel, and he leads one of the most beautiful uh, kind of leadership roles you could imagine. He does the most magnificent job. He is a skillful leader. He's filled with tenderness and compassion and yet courage and strength. And he builds a beautiful nation. He hands over to his son Saul, uh, Solomon, who does just a magnificent job. And you just get this picture of this man who is really a real dude. And yet look at this. A guy who has so much strength, who's got so much respect, 
he chooses to call himself a sheep. A dumb, follow, and just do what the other sheep does. That's what he chooses. In his high point of his literary career, he writes a poem and he calls himself a sheep. And he says, God, you are my shepherd. National hero, super strong, greatly victorious. He could do and call himself anything, and he calls himself a lowly sheep. And he says, I lack nothing because of that one fact. Because I'm a sheep, and I've got a shepherd. And I realize that I have found provision in God that no palace or power, or cash, or companion, or career ever could. As much as I create here, the only way I find satisfaction is when I realize I'm a sheep and he's a shepherd. And the deepest needs of my heart will never be met in all of these accomplishments. He didn't lack nothing because he had a palace. Otherwise, he would have said, I'm a king, and I lack nothing. He said, I'm a sheep. And the Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He understood, and I wish that we could get this. If we could, our lives would never be the same again. That all of our accomplishments and all of our doing would never satisfy us. Quite like being a sheep with a shepherd. If we could continuously understand our identity that he is a good shepherd, and I need to follow him I need to see him as my provider and my protector. The joy that could permeate my soul would be far greater than I have right now. And by the way, I think we're seeing it. I think this last four weeks, we've been witnessing God beginning to shepherd us in beautiful and profound ways. Graciously and kindly just taking us onwards and forwards. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. David had so many amazing gifts. He could basically call anyone to do anything, and they would do his bidding, and he had these gifts. He was powerful, and yet he could only find refreshing for his soul in God. He could only find that deep sense of joy and sustenance and and actual happiness in God. His son became the expert in that, by the way, when he wrote the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and he basically went and said, I have explored everything. I have traveled. I have bought. I have experienced. I've been everywhere. I've done all I can to find happiness. And he basically ends his book basically going, there is nothing that can satisfy quite like God. And I think we're starting to learn that as a church. I think COVID did us a world of favors, by the way taking away so much, causing us to reflect and come back and rebuild our lives around the stuff that matters. And it's really crucial because we're still in a rebuilding phase and so much of our identity and stuff we valued got dismantled, got broken, and we're pulling it back together. And we need to get the shepherd's help as we rebuild the sense of who we are and whose we are. But he says, he leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. I hope you're experiencing something of the refreshing of your soul. David knew that actually he still wasn't the, it wasn't the end. He was a great king in God's story, but he was still waiting for the ultimate refreshing that would come. He was still a foreshadow. David was a king in Israel, but David knew that there was a promised one who would bring the ultimate refreshing. 
thousand years later, Jesus, who becomes the fulfillment of this, he stands up at a feast. It says, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, John 7, 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, David wrote this and he says, God refreshes my soul. But David understood that the true refresher of the human soul was on his way. And Jesus stood up in a festival and he said, if anyone wants true refreshing, come to me. Not a few verses, uh, chapters later, he's going to say, I'm the good shepherd. He's going to call himself the shepherd. And he's going to say, I look after my sheep. I am the provider. I'm the protector. I'm what you need. And Jesus was speaking about what we spoke about last week, the outpoured Holy Spirit. Anybody who wants refreshing, that deep soul refreshing, needs to come to God to receive the outpoured Holy Spirit. Just this week, I've had the amazing privilege of getting messages, of sitting and having coffees, of chatting to people who in the last couple of weeks have experienced this outpoured Holy Spirit. One of my mates said to me, I've been playing the victim for almost five years now. I've been thinking my life's tough because of all the stuff I went through. And in one moment, with the help of the Holy Spirit, he taught me to cry again. And he let me experience that I am loved. I'm not a victim. I'm cared for. I'm, I'm loved. And, and, and I'm looking in the eyes of a person who's got life again. Why? Because he's no longer identifying himself with what he hasn't got and how wrong life has worked for him, but how good God is to him. That God is his shepherd. I think of another person who, who told next that she's just been communing with God in the last few weeks. Just since this fresh grace of the Holy Spirit, it's just been talking with God through the day. Just experiencing this ongoing conversation with God. That's what it means to walk with God as your shepherd. He just keeps taking you to fresh pasture. He's listening to you as you talk through your life. This is the good shepherd. Well, my buddy who told me last week, kind of newish to church talk, and I must write it, I'll, I'll read it out. He says, you know... I just felt super emotional, but I know God was speaking to me because I've been through a whole bunch of tough stuff. It's just the sense that God is speaking. He wants to shepherd us. He wants to refresh your soul. He wants to help you to understand that he's actually more into you than you are into you. (laughs) He loves you more than you love you. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is interesting. God is so caring about you, but he does it because it's, it, it, your goodness is for his glory. Your life working makes him delight. The, the big word for that is actually called shalom. We don't have a word in English that speaks of shalom. The, the two closest ones is peace, but then you think peace and you think an absence of hostility or absence of war. That's not shalom. The the word shalom might be closer to flourishing. It's like your holistic, full life is working. 
God leads you into paths of righteousness. He leads you into the right places because he wants your flourishing. Your flourishing is his joy. And his joy is your flourishing. No, no, I'm not talking about you becoming super wealthy or never getting sick or never having difficulties. I'm talking about him shepherding you into a happiness in relationship with him that simply carries you through the highs and the lows. Keeps you humble when things are going great, and he keeps you encouraged and loved when things are not working well. That's flourishing. He walks with you. Your soul has this range of ability to walk through things because you are letting him shepherd you. It's this taking on of Jesus' easy yoke and his light burden. It's Jesus saying, come follow me because life is tough, but I am the best version of life in a tough world. So stop choosing other yokes. Stop thinking your career can fix you. Stop thinking that your cash can fix you. Put the yoke of Jesus on you. Trust him, and he will shepherd you through life, albeit it'll be tough. It'll be the best version of tough you can imagine. Even though I walk through the valley or through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes I preach and I'm going to go something like this. You can have deep peace in difficult times. It's propositional preaching. You say something that can happen if you do something. I want to say today that many of you do and have exhibited great peace in difficult times. And we've been the benefactors of your faith. I've watched it in the last while, and I want to commend you for it. Some of you who've who've been through radical loss. I think of you who've lost work, income, finance, and you're in this deep, dark space and going, I just don't know how I'm going to get out. But I trust God as my shepherd. And, And in your family and honest and humble way, we get to watch you expressing real faith. And we're just so proud of you. We're just standing with you. We're trusting God for work and finances and support. But I want to tell you that you are living with God as your shepherd. And we commend you for it. Some who are waiting for uh, results, uh, medical results, don't know what's going on. But send messages like this. I don't know the outcome, but I have peace that regardless of the outcome, God's with me. That's the message we get this week. You're living this. For some of us, maybe it's, it, it, it seems beyond, but I want to say that you can enjoy this kind of faith. There's been so much tragedy and difficulty in the last while, but I want to commend you to Jesus, to the good shepherd. Before we move on, I, uh, you have to look at the beautiful uh, sort of way this language works. Have you noticed in this Psalm 23, if you've read it a few times, psalmists often change the tenses. Have you noticed here, it says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, in the first three uh, chapters, uh, three verses, should I say? And then he goes to, um, he says, so, so he goes, firstly, the Lord and he, talking about. Then it goes a little, and he talks about I, even though I go through the valley, if things happen to me. And then it lands with you. He starts speaking about God. Then he speaks about himself. And then he says, he talks to God. Isn't that interesting? You, you, you. And at the end, he talks to God. Last week, we spoke about knowing about God versus knowing God. What changes in this uh, psalm that takes him from knowing about God to knowing God? 
the valley. He walks through a valley. He comes out on the other side and he doesn't say the Lord. He says, you. And maybe your valley, maybe your very difficult time right now is God taking you from knowing about him to knowing him. And that as you walk through that valley, you would begin to say, God, I don't want to just know about you. I need to know you right now. And your language begins to turn into a hunger to know him. God uses valleys profoundly to teach us that he wants to shepherd us. Don't despise your present valley. You're going from knowing about him to knowing him. Okay, final few verses. He says this. He changes. He goes from being a shepherd to being a king and a host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is so beautiful. The psalmist has now gone, God is a shepherd, but he's not just a shepherd. He's also a king. And in those times, a king was, uh, there, were, there were various versions of kings. So there would be a mighty king. Think in the Roman times, there would be Caesar. But then you read in Jesus' times, there would be someone like King Herod. How could there be Caesar and King Herod in one empire? These under kings, as I'll call them, were kind of called vassal kings. And so there would be the true king who really ruled over everything, and he would go conquer nations, but he wouldn't have enough personnel to basically put in a new king over that place. So instead, he would humiliate the present king and make sure that king would do his bidding, and he would basically turn him into a vassal king. He could keep ruling the nation he was ruling, but with just half the ego, because he knew he had already been beaten. So he was basically just an administrator, keeping these people happy so that the big king could be really in charge. And so what happens in these Middle Eastern spaces in that time would be that this king would have some of those vassal kings come and have a meal with him. Typically, in those meals, it would be the great grand king who would be on the throne and he would be super powerful and all the others would just grovel. And they would be, actually, they would have probably fought each other across the table over the, the years past because they were vassal kings from other nations. And here you've got this picture of the true king, who is a magnificent host, who's the king over kings. And by the way, David wasn't a vassal king. He was a king in his own right who ruled over Israel and was never under another king. But he says, I am a vassal king, and I sit at your table because you're the true king. How's this humility? He goes, first I'm a sheep, now I'm an under king, even though I'm not but I want to stay humble because I know you are the true king and that there's no king who compares to you. But if I sit at your table, do you know what you do? You prepare a table before me. You don't try to humiliate me. Instead, you give me a feast and you give me good fare and you spoil me with love in the presence of my enemies. You come and you pour oil over me and you give me the most amazing compliment I could imagine. I don't deserve it, but you give it nonetheless. I, I, some messages you walk home and you go, there were five things I need to do. Today, you've got nothing you need to do. All you need to do is receive. Receive a shepherd. Receive a king. Realize that he wants to shepherd you, and he wants to be your king, and he wants to spoil you with love. He's allowed you to sit at his table, not groveling, kind of going, would you have me back? 
Am I okay? I've done so many naughty things. Why would I ever be allowed? He says, come sit at my table. And then he gets the oil, which again is a foreshadow of the outpoured Holy Spirit. And he comes to you and he says, I know you're not perfect. And I know you've done so many dumb things. But here it goes. And he pours oil, which was symbolic of lavishness. It was symbolic of kindness and grace and mercy and just saying, I am for you and I'm into you and I won't stop loving you. You sit at his table. I hope you can walk into the world tomorrow going, I'm seated at his table. I'm loved. He's going to shepherd me through this stuff. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The final part. It just gets better and better. This shepherd host says, I will shepherd you. I will host you. And you know what? Even if you reject me, I'm going to track you down and I will keep loving you. I don't know if you've ever read this poem. It's too long. I read it uh, this week and I, I just kept on going. It's called The Hound of Heaven written in the 1700s by, uh, I think it's Thompson. He wrote this beautiful poem about the hound of heaven, which basically says, God will track you down and he will not stop loving you. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. God will follow you. You and I are awfully rebellious. We keep getting distracted by all these little lesser good things, thinking they will save us. And God says, I will track you down and I will be the hound of heaven. I've got a literal living expression of this every day of my life at home. Our new dog, Max, has latched onto me. And he follows me everywhere. And I'm not the only one who feeds him. But for whatever reason, he treats me like I'm the only one who feeds him. And if I come into the room, sits right next to me. I get up, he watches me, and he follows me, and he sits next to me. Doesn't matter where I go, Max is there. I think it's the male bond we got going there. Surrounded. Max he hounds me. He follows me. I wonder if you would realize today that no one hounds you better than God himself. That goodness and love will follow you. You might walk out of this room today and go, I'm not interested. It's okay. He still is. And your day is coming. Your day is coming He will keep tracking you down and you might need to make a few more mistakes and your heart might need to get a little harder and you might need to hurt yourself a few more times. But let me tell you, at the end of that, he will follow you because goodness and mercy will track you down. What's the proof? The proof is that the king became humble, so good of a shepherd that he didn't let a few sheep die, he went and died himself. That's the goodness of the good shepherd. He gave up his life for the sheep. And he gave his life up for you and I. And our beautiful task today is simply this, receive. It's harder than giving, by the way. It's, it's easier to go sign up an involvement desk and join the kids' ministry and to say, I need help. And I don't have it all together. I need a shepherd. I need a king. And actually, I need to know I'm loved. I'm a child. I'm seated, and he will keep tracking me down. You will keep loving me, God. Can we stand? I'm going to pray. The band are going to join us. And if you would just keep your eyes closed for a moment. We're having such sweet times just being with God at the moment as a church. I'm so aware that there are people even online at home who 
you too may want to stand up and take a moment to really fixate your gaze on Jesus. And you maybe just want to take a moment right now, not to commit to doing more, but to commit to receiving more. It's much harder to just let God love us. But that's the faith God calls us to today. Would you let the good shepherd shepherd you? Would you ask God to come and show you how he leads you, how he guides you? Would you ask him to pour out his spirit on you? We prayed this prayer last week. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe again, you want to ask that prayer. You may want to, in a posture of faith, put your hands out and say, come, Holy Spirit. It's just a way of saying, I don't have it all together. I don't have everything I need. I'm a sheep. He's the shepherd. I'm an, I'm an under king. I've got some authority. I get to live in this world and love the world. But he's the true king. For some, you're actually just stepping into the, the, the adventure today. You're just saying, I need to be shepherded. I need the love of God. Maybe even now, you just want to, in your own words, say, Jesus, I'm coming back to you under your breath. I'm coming home. I need your love. I need your grace. Come help me. Come love me. I'm not a good enough shepherd of my own life. Forgive me for running. Forgive me for leading my own life. Forgive me for trying to be my own master. I turn from that and I turn to you and I thank you for your forgiveness. I come home and I let you love me. And I'm not going to grovel outside the door. I'm coming to sit at your table. Pour out your anointing on my life. Pour out your grace so that the love of God might be shared abroad in my heart. Jesus, as we sing, let this song be a song of faith, a song of receiving, a song of saying yes to our shepherd, our king, our host, the hound of heaven who tracks us down, who keeps inviting us. Thank you for your grace. Today, I pray we wouldn't spurn your grace. We wouldn't waste it. That we would come home today. That we hurt ourselves less and say yes to you more. We put your yoke upon us. As we sing, we come into your beautiful feast and appreciate your grace. Let's sing. <laughs>